It's fantastic to see you here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at the Ferndale campus and all of those that are watching online. Our online church continues to grow and flourish. And so we welcome our brothers and sisters who are watching via that technical medium. As we respond to what has happened in this past week, many of you have been asking, what will our response as a church be? I'd like you to write down two organizations. Both of these organizations are already on the ground in Haiti. They're already there. They're already working. They know what to do. They know how to take our good intentions and actually turn it into life-saving work. So, starfishministries.org, okay? Think starfishministries.org is one of the groups that we work closely with. The second organization is newgenerationhaiti.org, okay? starfishministries.org, newgenerationhaiti.org. Both of those ministries work with orphan children. They work in medical groups. They are already uh, in the process of getting aid into the country. And so what we want to do is throw whatever it is God tells us to do behind groups that are already doing good work, okay? And so uh, if you have, if God has told you to do something monetarily, go to their websites. You can contribute directly with them. As well, you can go to our website. We're going to be preparing a container Together with North County Christ the King, we're going to pull together all the Christ the King resources. We're filling a container. If we can fill two, we'll fill two. If we can fill three, we'll fill three. All of those containers will be, it'll be several weeks before they actually leave and go that direction. If you've been listening to the State Department, that's what they've been asking us to do. Just to send stuff crazy in there right now, there's no way to get it in. And so we're going to be patient. We're going to work together. Please only donate the list or the items that are listed on the website. Your used clothing helps nobody right now, okay? That it's wonderful that you'd want to, but we can't do anything with that. It's going to end up going to Goodwill here in Bellingham. So just use uh, that list, and those things will be life and death for people who are going to be needing that in the days to come. I thank you for uh, paying attention to that as well. If you're trying to get connected to Christ the King, we have a small group connection luncheon that's happening on Sunday here at the Bellingham campus, and we would welcome you to, get, uh, to use that opportunity to get plugged in. As we get ready to open up the Word of God, I'm going to ask the question again that I asked last week. I'm not necessarily going to answer the question. But I'd like you to be rolling around in your mind and in your brain as we talk for the next couple of weeks. The question is, who or what gets the best of you? Who or what gets the best of you? Bob Hildebrand will never know the impact that he had on my life. Bob Hildebrand was a dairy farmer. And every Wednesday night at Faith Fellowship Baptist Church in Brandon, Manitoba, Bob would give himself away as a volunteer Awana leader. He gave himself away as a leader to a group of obnoxious sixth grade boys. We were rude. Bob was kind. We were out of control. Bob was steady as a rock. We would declare anarchy on Wednesdays, and Bob would pray. I was supposed to memorize, as part of my Awana regimen, Ephesians chapter 5, 6, verses 19 through 20. I didn't like memorizing. I was motivated by the fact that they would bribe children with chocolate at the end of the night if they memorized more than five sections in one evening. That's what motivated me. And Bob offered to help me learn my verses for that night. Ephesians 6, 19 says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. 
For ye are bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's not the normal translation we use here. Just roll with the ye's and the these and the thou's for a minute, okay? I'll never forget how Bob taught me that verse. He would walk in and he'd go, what? And I'd have to rattle off the rest of the verse. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And then he'd leave for a little while. Then he'd come back in and he'd go, what? And I'd have to spit the verse out just as fast as I could. I went home that night. I'd hear people in random conversation saying, what? And I'm like, no, you're not. Your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost. I mean, he just plugged it into my brain. I couldn't get it out. It was like a song. You know how a song gets stuck in your head? That's what that verse became to me. And then as time went along, I just let it slip from my mind. Until I got to my very first serious relationship. And I was confronted with feelings and thoughts that I'd never dealt with before. Pressures and hormones took me down paths that all of us experience at some level. And I found myself in moments when compromise and life decisions were right in my face. I would, I, I would begin to be confronted by these questions, these decisions. And as I was confronted by life decisions about purity and holiness, I could hear Bob way in the back of my brain saying, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? You were bought with a price. Years later, sitting in front of a computer, trying to decide if, if I would give in to the temptation of compromising with just one click of a computer mouse, Bob and God would show up in my brain and they'd ask a question. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? You're not your, you were bought with a price. And I would struggle inside to try and make decisions. Laurel and I were engaged for a year. I was going to college. She worked in a city about an hour away. And I would go to see her on weekends. And because her brother Stan was working, I would be faced with decisions. We would be faced with decisions and choices about purity. And we had all of the justifications at our fingertips. We were getting married. We loved each other. We'd waited long enough. We'd be faced with, with the challenge of physical purity. In the back of my mind, I could hear this question. What? Know ye not? And the verse would run. For the record, that verse helped us make it to the wedding altar pure. It's one of the best decisions we ever made. The verse that Bob and God drilled into my head sounds a little different in the translation we use here, Christ the King. It sounds like this. It says, do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Let's unpack this scripture today. It starts with the question. And the question is this, do you know who you belong to? The question about our physical body is not a body question, it's a stewardship question. Your physical body is a gift from God. You're simply its steward. You're responsible for everything that goes into it and the energy that comes out of it. You're to use your body as a tool to glorify God. You're not supposed to just use it and abuse it as you see fit for your own gratification. Let's stop here for a second. It happened again last week. usually happens once a year. A person confronts me with this truth. They come up and they say, Pastor, do you know there's people smoking out in front of the church? I don't know if they like my response because I always say the same thing. I know. Ain't it great? <laughs> now make sure you hear what I'm saying. I think it's great. 
Because everybody's working on something. And I'm just thrilled with the fact that while God's working on something in their life, that they might start out there and work their way in here to hear the message of Jesus. Every year I get asked, why do we put ashtrays in front of our church? And my response is simple. All different kinds of people come to Christ the King. We all have our stuff. Their issue is smoking. My issue is insecurity. Apparently, if you're asking this question, your issue is judging people. Okay? Just... All right? And I'm going to just make it clear. We don't endorse smoking. We just know people are working on different stuff at different times. We don't think smoking will keep you out of heaven. In fact, if you keep smoking, it'll probably get you there a whole lot quicker than the rest of us. <laughs> just being straight, all right? But we also believe, because we love the Word of God, that we're a steward of our bodies. And to those people that, that are, well, we, we want to say we love you. And we believe that it's your spiritual responsibility to look after your body, whether you're smoking a cigarette or putting seven Big Macs into your system at one sitting, okay? We don't belong to ourselves, no matter what our issue is. The answer to the question, do you know who you belong to, comes with an answer, and Scripture says the answer. You're not your own. You belong to God. You have no ownership over your body, simply stewardship. God is the owner. He decides if air goes in. He decides if air goes out. He breathed life into you this morning and woke you up. He's going to tuck you in at the end of the night. I mean, it's completely and totally up to Him. He breathed life into you. He can take life out of you anytime He wants to because He's God and you're not. And this is where some of us get confused. We think we're the ones who are in charge. We think we can do whatever we want to with our physical body. And so we end up treating it like a rental car. Right? And we just drive it into the ground because it's not ours. And then we wonder why it breaks down under a load of guilt and shame. Some of you are assuming what direction I'm going with this. Just hang with me for a little while, okay? After the question and the answer comes the truth. I love this little phrase, you were bought with a price. This is the one that gets me. You and I were bought with a price and the cost was high. More than just your physical self, God sent His Son to die on a cross to redeem all of you, your physical body and your soul. Think of it this way. God loves you so much that He declared you to be priceless. That's a statement of great worth, especially to those of us who often struggle with feeling worthless. The next part there is after the truth is we need to understand how much it cost Jesus to redeem us. Well, the cost was this, huge and profound. It was the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down his life willingly so that you and I could be saved, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be transformed, so that we could have a second opportunity. It means this, you belong to God. You're precious. He paid the price you could not pay for the sins that we all committed inside of our physical body. He ransomed all of us. And the only fitting response to that sacrifice is the command that he leaves at the end of Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. The command is simple. Honor God with your body. Period. I spent more than a decade of my life working with middle school and high school students. Following that, I worked with college students, and then I moved on to pre-marrieds and pretty soon young marrieds. I lost track over the last 20 years of the number of times I sat with a young person in my office who was dealing with the consequences of not honoring their body and making poor sexual choices. I've, I've sat with young couples 
who have had to go back through their failures and the shame that comes with that in order to start their new married life together. I've seen it over and over again. I've heard it over and over again. Young people saying, I just wish I would have done it God's way from the beginning. For some, it was confusing sex for real intimacy. For others, it was giving a piece of their soul to a person who thought they would love and cherish them only to find out that, that once they'd given them a part of themselves that suddenly their love was disposable. For others, it was giving themselves away to an image on a computer screen that wasn't real and never filled any of that hole in the bottom of their soul. For others, it was, it was giving their thought life away to temptation and objectification for all of us at some level. It's anything we've done sexually outside of the bounds of a monogamous, committed marriage between a man and a woman because that's God's standard for all of us. Now, before you think that I'm going to go all guilt and shame on you, just hold on. For too long, the devil's been lying to people about their past failures. So today, I'm going to set the record straight. If you failed in the area of honoring your body in whatever way that it is, my prayer is that this will be God's gift to you. If you haven't crossed that line, if you can still say that, that you've honored God's standard and you remain pure to this day and intend to until you're married, I want you to thank Jesus from the bottom of your heart knowing this. It was not your iron will that saved you. It was the protection of Jesus Christ that set you apart. You haven't done anything. It's all Him. This is what Satan wants you to believe if you've messed up. Okay, here it comes. This is what Satan wants you to believe if you've messed up. Number one, that you are an unsalvageable failure. The devil wants you to think that whatever failure you, or whatever line you stepped across, that that failure was both fatal and final. He wants you to believe that you're too broken too stained, that God's love can reach most other people, but you and your sin are just in a completely different category. He wants you to believe you will never recover, that you will be permanently marked, that you'll never truly be able to experience God's total and complete forgiveness in your life. And this is God's answer to His lie. Isaiah 44 verse 22 says this, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Now, I don't want to diminish the cost of sin. Whatever sin I've committed cost Jesus his life. That's a very, very big deal. Whatever sin it was, it cost Jesus his life, but Jesus paid the price willingly so that he could sweep our failures away like a cloud that even though our sin saturates our souls like a Washington mist, that God's heart for us is not to run away from Him, but in those moments of failure to come back to Him so that He can redeem us and set us free. Satan wants us to believe something else if we've compromised in this area. He wants you to believe that you're dirty. He'll tell you, I saw what you did. You're dirty, you're soiled. You can never know what it means to be clean again. You're unlovable. You're unwanted. Nobody's going to want you. That's a lie. Do we understand that? 
That is a lie. And this is God's answer. Also from the book of Isaiah. He says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. I can speak from experience. God specializes in deep cleaning. He knows what it means to get into the dirtiest portions of our soul, to to lift that stain up, and then to wash it so that it's brilliantly white. He wants to do that for all of us. Matt Chandler is the pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. Matt is one of the best young preachers that I've ever heard. I'd encourage you, if you're a prayer warrior, just to write that name. Matt Chandler, in the corner of your outline. Matt's a young guy and was just recently diagnosed with a brain tumor. So he's preaching while he's doing chemo and radiation, and it's not good. I heard Matt relate a story that I believe needs to be retold because it speaks to the heart of God and past failures. Matt was a freshman in college and he went to one of his classes and he ended up sitting next to a young single mom who had returned to school to to try and make a better life for her and her kids. The young woman was actually involved at that time in an extramarital affair with a married man and, and Matt and his friends became a friend to her. They wanted to explain to her God's understanding of of how you should build a relationship. Wanting to build the friendship, Matt invited her to go to a a Christian concert at a church. And and she agreed to actually go with them. So they went to this particular concert and the musician was a friend of Matt's. He knew him, but but in in the middle of, of the evening, a pastor stood up in the middle of the concert and he said, I'd like to talk to you about sex. Matt thought, This is not good because of the friend that was sitting next to him. The pastor began his talk by taking a long-stemmed red rose, and he handed it to the person in in, in the very first row, and he said, I want everybody in the room to touch and smell the rose. Just pass it around, everybody. Get your hands on it, touch it, feel it, understand the textures. Go ahead, just pass it around. I want everybody to touch the rose. He then went on, and and as many of us have seen or experienced, did an absolutely masterful job of completely annihilating God's purpose for sexuality and impurity, and in doing so, heaped guilt and shame and condemnation on every single person in the room. As he was getting to, to wrap up, He was accusing people, pounding people with shame. And as he was building the intensity of the talk and getting ready for his punchline, he said, where's my rose? Who's got my rose? The rose came back towards the front and he held it up. But by this time, the rose was crumpled. And the leaves were falling off and the stem was broken. And he held it up. And as everybody started to clue into what it was that he was communicating with who the rose was, he said, now who would want this? Who would want something like this? Matt said that anger welled up in his soul and that he wanted to scream from the bottom of his heart, Jesus wants the rose! Jesus wants that rose. Because to him it's beautiful. He made it 
And how dare you make it ugly? That's the gospel in a nutshell. That he who knew no sin was made sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That is the essence of the gospel. That Jesus wants the robes. The Bible talks about a group of religious people who who caught a woman in the very act of adultery and dragged her and propped her up in front of Jesus. Her hair's disheveled, her clothes are a mess, her heart's in her throat. Jesus gets down on the ground and he starts writing something in the dirt. I don't know what it was, but it must have been awesome. Because pretty soon everyone that had condemned her had dropped their rocks and had all walked away. And pretty soon it's just him and her. He asks her a question. Where did all the people who condemned you go? She says they just went away. And then Jesus says these words, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants his rose. Jesus wants to take the brokenness, wants to heal it, wants to wash it. He wants to declare it as really clean. Here's one more lie. The lie is you're disqualified The enemy loves to say, because of what you did, you can never again be whole. Because of what you did, you can never again touch another person's life. You're doomed to sit quietly on the sidelines because only good people get to make a difference. Boy, does God have an answer for this one. Okay? This is my typo in your outline. Make sure you change it. It's not Ephesians 9.14. It's Hebrews 9.14. This is God's answer to the enemy's lie, you're disqualified. He says this, how much more then? Will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God? That's what qualifies us. And Jesus says that that he presented himself as a blameless, spotless sacrifice without a blemish. He paid for our sin once and for all. And in doing that, he cleansed our consciences from all of the garbage that we used to do. And then allowed us to serve the living God. Does anybody see any mention of sitting on the sidelines and not being able to do anything in that verse? I don't see it either. That means this, that means with everything that God has done in us, no matter what it is he has saved us from, we are uniquely qualified to touch another human soul because we are a testimony that Jesus wants the rose. Randy Borland, one of our amazing creative guys, pointed out to me what it says in John 3.16 again this week. 
It doesn't say God was so fed up with the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say that God was so desperately disappointed in the human race that he gave up his only son. It doesn't say that that God wanted to straighten up a group of degenerate people so he sent his only son. No, it says that God so loved the world. It doesn't say God was so ashamed of the world that he sent his son. It was an act of love that brought Jesus here. It's one thing to receive that kind of love and just feel bad. It's another thing to be humbled by God's love. It's another thing to receive God's forgiveness. It's also another thing to remember that at the end of that verse, it leaves us a statement. How do we respond to that love? We do it by obeying the command, therefore honor God with your body. Honor God with this package that you have. Several years ago at a youth retreat, a young lady shared her story, and it was a pretty broken story. A lot of tears in the room because she was unbelievably transparent about decisions that she'd made that caused her, in her words, to spend most of her life staring at the floor. When she finished her testimony, she slipped to a piano and started to play and sing. She sang these lyrics. Can you hear me brokenhearted and all you prisoners of the past? Come and find your freedom at last. There's mercy for the memories that hold you in your pain. Come and stand in the cleansing, forgiving rain. For as far as the eastern sky is from the west, and as deep as the ocean's deepest depths, your sin has been carried away by a God who forgives and forgets. So come find mercy for the memories. Rest. She sang again, all you hiding in the shadows of innocence you've lost. Come and find your healing in the shadow of the cross. For as far as the eastern sky is to the west, and as deep as the ocean's deepest depths, your sin has been carried away by a God who forgives and forgets. So come find mercy for the memories. There is mercy for the memories. Come find mercy for your memories. And rest. When she was done, it was like somebody had put a warm blanket around every broken heart in the room. I saw people who'd spent the entire hour of that service staring at the floor suddenly look up. It's like suddenly somebody poured something into their spine that made them sit up just a little bit more. They started looking around and the expression on their face was pretty clear. I'm clean. Jesus wants the rose. I may have been dirty, but I'm not dirty anymore. 
And I'm not walking back to the memories again. I will walk with my head held high. I will walk with my chin out because I serve a God who doesn't want me on the sidelines, but instead wants to redeem all of that stuff and use it for His honor and His glory. Because He's good. I know this is heavy. I've been watching the number of eyes that have not been watching me. Been there, done that. If you don't hear anything, please hear this. Jesus wants the rose. If you missed it, the rose is you and me. You know, if we wanted to, we could turn this into a great big cry fest. There's plenty of sniffles already. Why would we cry when Jesus says we're clean? Why would we walk out of here going, covered in shame? What a travesty that would be. So in a few moments, I'm going to pray. A prayer as we've been wrapping up this series. I'm going to pray a prayer over each and every one of us. And at the end of it, you're going to see some words that maybe you're not used to seeing when it comes to these kinds of moments. The words are, thank you. Thanks be to God who loves to redeem and forgive and wash clean and give another opportunity to. Thanks be to God that He has not disqualified you and said, you don't get to play anymore because you were very, very bad. Thanks be to God that He's a God that says, no, you don't understand. Now, I'm going to use you in ways that you could not understand. I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. I'm going to, we're going to do a divine exchange that's going to blow your mind. And I'm going to take that story and I'm going to stick a cross right in the center of it. And you're going to be able to say firsthand, Jesus has my rose. So would you pray with me in this place? With every head bowed, every eye closed, all of those of you in Ferndale, would you please bow with me right now? And I'm going to pray a prayer that came out of my heart this week. I hope you'll pray it with me. Regardless of what past stuff you might be dealing with. Let's pray together. Father, I confess that I've not honored you with my body. I regarded it as my own, but it belongs to you. I've sinned, I was wrong, and I humbly ask for your forgiveness. I want to give myself away to you and you alone. I ask that you would gather up the broken and scattered pieces of my life. I ask that you would restore my purity. I ask that you'd cleanse my conscience and allow me to serve the living God. I receive the cleansing that you promised. I am clean before you. I have been forgiven. I have been restored. 
And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray this in the name of a forgiving, redeeming God. Amen. I grew up repenting a lot. Every week. To go back and confess the same sins over and over and over again. Trying to get it right one more time. Work really, really hard. And then I discovered that He'd forgiven me. That I was clean once and for all. Did I have the potential to sin again? Oh yeah. But did I need to keep dragging that weight around? No. And do you know why? Because of the authority of the Word of God that says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we're not going to walk out of here tonight feeling bad. We're not going to disappear back into the parking lot and hope that somehow we're going to get it right this time. No, 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 no. This time we're going in a different direction. This time the enemy will be on the receiving end of a declaration. Because we are going to sing, we are going to shout, we're going to love the fact that the enemy hates the statement that Jesus wants the rose. Because he doesn't want you to think he does. He wants you to think you're broken and you're busted and you're not pretty anymore. And it just isn't true. So let's not live with the lie for one more day. Let's live with the truth of what God says to be true. Let's walk pure. Let's walk clean. Let's walk knowing that we know the God who sets the captives free. Amen? Amen. So.